Welcome to the Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Banker Midweek. And today, your Midweek editors are Liz Lumley and John Everington. Hello. Hello, Liz. Hello. So as our listeners know, the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. So over here at the Banker Towers, um, our team has just wrapped up our bumper top 1,000 banks issue. So mm-hmm. you can't need to forgive us if during this midsummer episode we're a little tired. <laughs> Very tired. However, um, this is a bit of a spoiler. We won't be spending much time talking about the top 1,000 today because it comes out next week. Um, But next Bankerwood Week, so on July 5th, July 5th, yes, uh, John will come back and our very own uh, Barbara Pianisi will be staging a top 1,000 banks takeover Mm -hmm. of the Banker Midweek and you will share all of your findings. So please set your diaries for next week uh, to tune in for all of that information. But since we're not talking about that this week, (laughs) it is still June not yet, not yet, not yet July and just past midsummer. So the days are long, the nights are short, and this is the Banker Midweek. So normally we start with stories live on the site, but actually I'm thinking, you know, normally we just we just make up the rules as we go along. Um, but we're going to start with a story with a banker move story. So this is HSBC is ditching its iconic Canary Wharf Tower in favor of central London. And I'll read you a little bit of the Newswire story. Um, So they're moving from Canary Wharf in East London uh, in favor of a much smaller office in the center of the city, according to a memo seen by Reuters. Europe's largest bank told staff its preferred option was to move to the redeveloped former offices of uh, BT and a development known as Panorama St. Paul's and the bank intends to move in late 2026. Now, this building is very, very close to Bank It is Manor. indeed. If for, those, for those of us who come in from Farringdon Station on a daily basis, you walk right by it. No, so, yeah. they just mm-hmm. wanted to be close to us, I think. I think so, um, yeah. So it's interesting. There's two parts of this, and I'll tell you a little background story. I first came to London in 1997, and um, at that point, there was just one large uh, tower in Canary Wharf called One Canada Square, and my boss thought it would be interesting for me to go down and take pictures of this wasteland (laughs) in East London, Um, and there was a a hole in the ground that said, future home of HSBC, and one across the across the way saying future home of city that I took pictures of with my boots disposable camera. Amazing. Um, and then, of course, and immediately a security guard pulled up and asked me what I was doing. <laughs> and I said, my editor told me to come Going down Going the extra here. mile for journalism, Liz. So sorry. Um, but it's interesting. The FT had a story about this today, and they called it uh, part of pandemic woes. And I think the part of that is it's a much smaller office. Um, mm-hmm. This, you know, the, the, the day of 100% of your staff coming in five Five days a week is pretty much over. However, but before we talk about that, I remember, you know, I, I remember when Level 39 launched in Canary Wharf and then Innovate Finance launched in Canary Wharf. And when that was building up, it, they very much courted the financial services industry and banks. It's why, you know, City and HSBC were those two big, huge skyscrapers um, facing each other. And State Street is there and uh, Barclays and, and, and all these other banks. However, this was before the pandemic. I remember hearing from some people 
uh, close to the Canary Wharf Group, which manages the site, that they've decided to diversify from purely financial services firms mm -hmm. and to make it. Um, so that might be part of it in addition to pandemic woes that um, that banks are, are seeing. They aren't the, um, the preferential tenants anymore. There's a question whether <laughs> that's kind of like post-rationalization though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, as you say, the sort of the pandemic has changed our working habits. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's interesting to see. I mean, so like JP Morgan came out a few months um, ago saying, yes, we want managing directors in the, in the office every day. And I think there is that sort of, push to kind of get people back in mm -hmm. but at the same time i think there is just a recognition that sort of habits have changed isn't there yeah so and i mean you you don't need as much space as you once did so mm -hmm. and i think there's also i mean it's also interesting i mean looking at hsbc they also i think it was last year that they announced that they were moving from their new york premises on fifth avenue they were going to a new building called the spiral which is also mm -hmm. where pfizer is and i think i mean again this is partly sort of um part of it was uh sort of a kind of a smaller, slightly smaller premises in the sort of a, in an upcoming sense like part of town. But at the same time, um, you have kind of a lot of these kind of um, bigger, older buildings now. And I mean, I don't know, so like kind of it's 20-something 20, 20 years is now an older building. So, mm. And a lot of these buildings are going to need to be sort of like kind of retrofitted. They're going to need to sort of like kind of quite extensive kind of like sort of makeovers and such like that. So, so I think you increasingly you have these tenants who kind of think, well, you know what? Do we need this building anymore? Do we really want to go through a kind of an expensive refit or do we want to go for something nice and shiny somewhere else? So, mm -hmm. so I think, I mean, they did that in New York or, or in the process of doing it in New York. And it seems as if it's the same place in London as well. It was interesting. This is kind of a sustainability question. I'm telling I'm telling more HSBC stories because I've I've been in that building so often, and and anyone who who works in London knows how difficult it is to get into the building <laughs> in Canary Wharf. Hopefully, it'll be a bit easier when they move uh, to Central London. But um, I remember a meeting I had there ages ago, and they said it's a it's a green building. This is the Canary Wharf office, and they put a bottle of water in front of me and said this is HSBC water. And I never got a, a you know, I never got sort of a engineering answer to this about what does that mean. That, <laughs> the mind boggles slightly. Okay, HSB generating its own water. Okay, right. Okay. Yeah, let's I, let's not dwell on that. I too drank much. it. I drank it. Okay, let's move on to crypto. Now, um, the reason why I'm mentioning this, this actually the happened uh, before uh, about uh, June fifteenth, but supposedly. This report is coming out today on June 29th. So uh, the EU uh, had a leaked document looking at the digital euro bill, which outlaws interest, large holdings, and programmability. So this was all over. This was a discussion um, that we had. Uh, I recently came back from Madrid in EBA day, so that's why I'm mentioning it, um, looking at central bank digital currencies. So what the leaked memo proposed by the European Commission said was uh, that central bank digital currencies would have to be available for cash-style online payments from day one, and users shouldn't be able to program it to limit onward use, the leaked bill said. Um, so there's a quote, the digital euro shall be available for both online and offline digital euro payment transactions, the first uh, release of the digital euro. So that was um, the reason why I bring this up. I think also they said the level of privacy for offline face-to-face -face users should be comparable to withdrawing banknotes at an ATM, it mm -hmm. said. Now, it's very interesting. I know I've mentioned this many, 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 many times before. 
the people that pipe up about privacy um, and identity when talking about central bank digital currency. <laughs> um, and that the, They uh, want to know what flavor your sandwich is. They do. They want to know exactly how many pets you own and how what you eat for lunch every day. Um, and, of course, the central banks say uh, no. So this is kind of a move in the direction of trying to make this very similar to, um, to how cash um, to how cash cash is used. So I, as I mentioned before, I just came back from Madrid last week. This is the uh, we all know it's uh, it's financial services uh, uh, conference season. Uh, so this is the Euro Bankers Association, and I moderated a panel on central bank digital currencies and the status of it in Europe. So um, we had uh, Deutsche Bank on the panel, J.P. Morgan, um, uh, Quant as well, and it's interesting. Everyone is is uh, working on projects. Um, no one would give me a timeline. I mean, the, the name of the panel was uh, the status of uh, European digital currencies, but mm -hmm. um, the most I could get out with is we might see one in 2030, mm -hmm. end of the decade. <laughs> Not exactly a bullish sort of like kind of sentiment, is it? Well, I, I someone tweeted it because I said, you've heard it here first, 2030, we will see a digital euro. Um, so, the, so we talked a bit about digital euro, digital pound, um, and there's a lot of debate about whether it either needs to be on the chain, you mm. know, so this could be, um, you know, just a digital version of, you know, using APIs, um, and looking at experiments on, on how that works. But yeah, so this was, this was kind of experimental phase and maybe, maybe the end of the decade. What do you, what do you think about, uh, the, uh, our overlords dictating <laughs> what we spend our money on digital currencies. Well, I personally don't really have a problem with people knowing what kind of sandwich or sal <laughs> salad I think, but sorry, no, 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 let's 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 stop talking about that. It's a <laughs> bit of a sideline. Um it's I mean it was interesting sort of having a little look at the sort of the reporting of these regulations. I mean, mm. I think sort of the vibe that you kind of get from it is that um it's the sort of the European regulators wanting to play it kind of safe. They sort of I think one of the big fears that they're sort of wrestling with is the sort of the fear of disintermediation. And I mean, I mm. think sort of a lot of the kind of the sort of the techno it's like kind of the tech guys out there i mean sort of i mean in the sort of in the sort of in the crypto space in particular that's kind of like the great dream about the great disintermediation and such like that so but again when you're a central banker when you're a regulator you're not so fond of that are you mm -hmm. so and i think it's kind of that kind of comes comes out fairly clearly um in the report of these new regulations that sort of okay well let's just we're going to steady as you go, basically. Mm. And and it's sort of because, I mean, again, and the central banks don't want to kind of like have people rushing out of their kind of rushing out of their traditional banks and then it's like just putting all their monies in a CBDC and kind of acting as the central bank being essentially sort of mm. like everyone's bank, as it were, which is not the sort of like kind of function of a, of, of a central bank. Um, yeah. Um, so, and I mean, again, there's going to be grumbles about, oh, well, you're just in the pocket of big banks. Yeah. It's like kind of you're just following their diktat on that. But, but yeah. There was another question that came up a lot. Um, there's some questions from the audience um, about the panel. So we both talked about retail CBDCs and wholesale CBDCs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and both of these questions came up about both of them, but it was more biased towards retail. Um, why we need this at all? Yep. You know, I mean, every everyone uses. I don't can remember the last time I had a um, physical cash in mm -hmm. my hand. Um, yep. Everyone uses sort of digital money. Um, so yeah, what I mean, I I kind of speculated on last week's banker midweek that um, it's kind of like crypto was the trendy innovation for a few years, and I think maybe central banks think that 
they'll be seen as dinosaurs if they don't at least experiment yeah. <laughs> with uh, with on chain currencies. But. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's interesting just to see. Um, I mean, just sort of bringing it back to my region a little bit. I mean, Nigeria sort of kind of had headlines a little while back for being one of the sort of the first major markets. I mean, you had you had a few kind of markets in the in the Caribbean and such to like kind of experimenting with CBDCs, but they were kind of one of the big markets who were kind of like going out and just sort of like kind of launching a CBDC of their own, uh, the E-Naira. Um, but then sort of really, it's a project which hasn't really taken off at all, and that's been quite kind to it, frankly. So um, it was, and but I think a lot of the sp people that we spoke to said, this is really kind of, it's, it's again the central bank trying to kind of put down a marker saying, we're on top of this new technology, and particularly in a sort of an area in a country where crypto adoption is so high in Nigeria, um, the, I mean the estimates there are staggering. I think the sort of central bank was had to be seen to be doing something, as it were, in this space, just to say, okay, well, you've got this kind of weird crypto thing, but here is this official kind of like CBDC, which is backed by the central bank and, and backed by the government. And so, yes, what I mean, so just trying to sort of like kind of get people's attention mm. and try and focus minds and such. But unfortunately, it hasn't sort of, it's been a sort of a very slow rollout. And I mean, adoption has been very low um, compared mm. with the sort of like with the very compelling options, both crypto and non-crypto there. It's like mm. kind of from TradFi as well. So, yeah, it's I mean, that's that's been an interesting test case. So just yeah. with it, it is kind of interesting because sort of crypto grew up around this sort of um, an alternative to the centralized bank offering. Mm -hmm. It seems sort of, you know, <laughs> kind of the uh, the uh, not what you're looking for when um when uh, when the the central bank is offering this, it was interesting just to talk about wholesale uh, CBDCs, and this is going to lead me into talking about ISO twenty oh twenty two. It's coming soon. Which Liz has to do every podcast. It's in her contract. <laughs> it is. It's true. Um, but um, we did a poll that said, uh, "Do we? What are the benefits of um, wholesale uh, central bank digital currencies?" And fifty nine percent of the audience said, "There are none. We don't need it. We already have initiatives like um, our." our RTGS, uh, for example. Um, so yeah, so it's. Um, I hope everyone who's doing these experiments is having a good time. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we might not need them, but yes, we are. We're going to talk. One of the most uh, interesting comments, uh, frequent uh, comments I had at EBA Day last week was uh, EBA Day was my first encounter ever with my favorite ISO, ISO twenty oh twenty two, because as we all know, it is. Uh, it was forms the basis of financial messaging for. SIPA, the single euro payments area. So European banks have been working with this for quite some time, and we know it's all in the in the news now because it's uh, expanded to cross-border payments, and, and SWIFT is really pushing that forward. So, I mean, a friend of mine asked the other day, can you, I mean, I'm sure banks are, are quite new with ISO 20022. I said, no, call European, call Deutsche Bank, call JP Morgan. They did this with SIPA a long time ago. But one of the comments was, uh, we're still talking. EBA day over a decade, we are still talking about ISO twenty o twenty two, and we, I think we'll be talking about it forever, mm -hmm. and ever and ever. Which is a good thing, right, Liz? I'm gonna get T-shirts made. <laughs> Everything. Okay, so now we're gonna go on to the banker site. Um, so yeah, so as, as I mentioned before, next week we will be launching the top one thousand banks. But before we do that, um, very interesting. Of course, one of my favorite topics is. Uh, large-scale digital transformation projects at 
large banks. And so I actually interviewed, as part of the Tech Vision column, the global CIO of Santander, um, a man named David Chaos, which is very interesting. Um, I love the name. He was very nice. But they launched a project uh, called Gravity, which is interesting because they uh, were migrating from mainframe-based legacy systems into the cloud. Um, and they've called they've called the system gravity, but it's he explains it. It's because they um, uh, really sort of changed the way the bank uh, accesses data, and they wanted data to be um, that uh, that place that attracted. Mm-hmm. So, like gravity attracts everything. <laughs> everything revolves Pulls around yep. around gravity, um, and they're about Santander Bank is about ninety percent um, now in the cloud, uh, on a cloud-based uh, infrastructure. They built it all in-house. Um, he said when they first started doing this project, uh, they basically got um, dozens and dozens of uh, consultancy firms and decided to do this in-house. And this Gravity platform is so successful that it is now being used by Google as part of its uh, project to um, help other industries and other companies uh, work on uh, digital transformation. So this will probably be 100% uh, cloud-based in, I think, 2025, 20, 26 mm-hmm. going forward. But I always like to, it is, it is a, um, I've, I've worked a lot with startups. Um, you know, this is a massive project for a bank the size of, of Santander, which is in mm-hmm. a number of countries around the world. And I don't think um, you can, for people that sneer at, how slow innovation works at bank. This is a massive undertaking that the bank. Indeed, I mean, partic- I mean, as you say, I mean, they've been around for so long in so many different mm. markets, so many legacy systems that they're working with. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's quite an undertaking. Mm. Yeah, it was in- interesting as well. They decided to do it first in the UK, uh, according to a phrase that um, uh, David Chaos said. We wanted to eat the frog first, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was cute, um, and that's because the UK has such a uh, stringent uh, regulatory um, regime. Um, and they, they wanted to make sure that they could roll back on the mainframe system if things went wrong, things didn't go wrong. Um, but he was very happy to, to do the, the hardest job first going forward. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Yeah, no, it was an interesting interview and just kind of like, I mean, again, sort of taking that sort of like kind of that, I mean, you can go kind of like lightly into this and you can go and go into re- into jurisdictions where the regulations are a little so like kind of a bit more easy to kind of like roll out a project like that. But I mean, so sort of actually kind of, just like grasping that nettle and sort of like eating the frog, whatever you want to call it, and just going straight in with the UK just to sort of like to, to prove that it could be done. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was very interested that that was that was the choice and that's the way they they took it forward. Mm, yep, interesting. Well done, Santander. Okay, so do we have anything else? Anything interesting? No, I've got the I've got the kill switch from John. We don't. But anyway, thank you so much. And again, join us next week for the special top one thousand banker midweek. So, from myself, Liz, and John, goodbye. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.